You get more out of life when you go out to a movie. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Delicious things to eat. The popcorn can't be beat. The sparkling drinks are just dandy. The chocolate bars and the candy. So let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Hello. Welcome once again to Halloween Boutique Psychotronic Reviews. I am one of your co-hosts, Philip, from the state of New Hampshire in the U.S. of A. and with me in the well, Commonwealth of Virginia. Hey, this is Barrett. Barrett, how are you, sir? I'm doing good. Excellent. And a Connecticut American? This is Chrissy. Chrissy, how are you? I'm great, thanks. Excellent. It's always good to have you back uh, since you've been uh, taking hiatuses because of all your... Uh, your other stuff that's going on, we're all busy, so it it makes sense. But it's glad that glad you're back uh, for this episode. So. Oh, thank you. It's always fun to come on. I miss you guys. I miss doing the show. I'm hoping I can kind of get back on a, some sort of regular basis when things calm down. Indeed, Which... and, uh, we do. We still have actually one more episode uh, of the Dark Discussions podcast that you're recorded on. Uh, the one about the oil rig that explodes. Oh right! Uh, we, oh, I, haven't released that I one love yet, so, that movie. Oh my yeah, god! So that's still in the queue. So so people will hear you, even if you just disappeared forever. They'll still have one more episode to hear you. So uh, so who are we? Who 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 is the Halloween Boutique Psychotronic Reviews? Uh, basically, we are part of the Dark Discussions News Network, which is www.darkdiscussions.com. Uh, Dark Discussions podcast was the original podcast, and this is one of the side podcasts that the three co-hosts that you just uh, have been introduced to appear on. Um, and basically uh, what it is, is um, it's a network of basically all the co-hosts of Dark Discussions podcast, the podcast that we're all on, as well as a couple of other friends of the podcast that join us here and there. Um, this podcast here, uh, Barry, you actually explained this podcast pretty good when we ask uh, what other podcasts that we do. So uh, what is this podcast all about? So we do things that Dark Discussions either passes on or isn't interested in or just doesn't fit that that particular uh, podcast. We do all sorts of different things, like we did Avatar The Way of the Water. Um, we have, in June, we have a LGBTQ month um, where we do a film every week. Um, we also, we've done Spellbinder as a tribute episode, um, all sorts of different things. We've done writing episodes or reading episodes where we've done books, um, and we interview authors and like tonight we're interviewing a director. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So basically, uh, Dark Discussions podcast is more of a structured podcast where we do a, a movie a week. Uh, and this is the one that, that uh, is the catch-all. 
And uh, unlike uh, Dark Discussions podcast, uh, Halloween Boutique Psychotronic Reviews also does uh, cult films, art house films, uh, book reviews, interviews, and all that other stuff. So uh, exactly what Barrett said. So uh, it's not as structured. Um, so uh, and and it's not as regular either because it goes on hiatus when we do. Um, uh, like uh, TV show podcasts and things of right. that nature. Yeah. So uh, for a couple of uh, other house cleaning things, uh, today is April 11th, 2023, that we are recording this uh, for some of our listeners like Pam, who are always curious when we uh, record episodes, because sometimes the episodes don't come out right away after we uh, release, or I should say record them. Uh, but this one will come out almost immediately, uh, because uh, it actually goes hand in hand with our last Dark Discussions podcast, which was uh, episode 573 based off a movie and uh, we'll talk about that movie in a moment because uh, as Barrett mentioned we do have uh, a special guest so uh, uh, Chrissy why don't you introduce that special guest since you were the one that brought us uh, brought the, us to the attention of the film even though we have uh, interviewed this person before and done reviews on the Dark Discussions podcast of two other films besides the one we're going to talk about tonight so a three-time uh, director uh, chosen for uh, Dark Discussions podcast. Yes, tonight our guest is Patrick Ray. He is a film director. He has directed and he's kind of a jack of all trades because he also writes, produces, casts. He does everything for his films pretty much. Um, in the past, he his other films include Arbor Demon, uh, Nailbiter, and I know there are probably a couple of others, but his latest film, which got a very awesome review in the New York Times, um, is called They Wait in the Dark. And so we are very pleased to have him here today. Uh, by the way, he also does a number of short films, and they do play a lot of film festivals, and those have also come with high critical acclaim and audience, um, high audience ratings as well. So welcome, Patrick. We're so happy to have you here tonight. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Now, uh, why don't you let uh, people know uh, where you're from and, uh, you know, part of the country and uh, how you got into uh, filmmaking in the first place. And then I guess we'll start discussing uh, uh, the new film because uh, that's why we, we have you on here yeah, to promote that sure. film and talk about it. Yeah, I'm originally actually from Nebraska. I grew up in a small town called uh, Schuyler, Nebraska, which is about 90 minutes from Lincoln. Um, and then um, I went to film school at the University of Kansas in Lawrence, Kansas. And uh, after I graduated there, I stayed in Lawrence for about 10 years. Um, and I worked at a TV studio and started making films uh, in the Lawrence area. Decided not to go to um, L.A. or New York. Just kind of stayed put in Kansas. And then I ended up uh, moving to uh, Kansas City, Missouri, which is where I'm at now with my, my wife and kids. And so I've been making films he, uh, in Kansas City since then. Um, obviously, one film I made in Charleston, South Carolina called Arbor Demon. And um, so, yeah, and They Wait in the Dark was actually mostly shot outside of Topeka, Kansas. Um, but we can go more into that. that it was partially sh uh, partially shot in Missouri and then partially shot in Kansas. So. Now, now uh, what we usually do is, is we play the trailer uh, of the movie, but this trailer stinks, man. What happened? You don't have any anybody speaking in it or anything like that? I Come edited on. the trailer. I did edit the trailer, but we were... <laughs> We, it's a we terrible not, trailer. <laughs> we didn't want to give away too much, um, but yeah, no, I didn't. The, the basic premise is it's a it's a mom and her and her son, her adopted adopted son, 
who are on the run from her ex-girlfriend. And I wanted to make a haunted house movie, but I didn't want to do the same old, same old. So I wanted to kind of make it part domestic thriller, part haunted house film. And so um, she eventually kind of takes refuge in her childhood home, which is kind of in the middle of nowhere outside of Topeka, Kansas. And then we've got some supernatural stuff that starts to happen in the house. So we've got the real threat of the uh, ex-girlfriend who's kind of closing in on her, trying to find her. And then she's her and her uh, adopted son are stuck in this situation in the house. So um, I felt like it was kind of like there was a ticking clock that was kind of counting down for this character. Um, but, it, you know, for me, the big challenge is coming up with a haunted house idea that hadn't been done before. Because <laughs> I was kind of like, okay, everything's been done. And I'm always like, whenever I watch a haunted house movie, I'm like, why don't these people leave the house? Like, oh, the, second chair, the second a chair moves or a second, like, anything flies off a shelf, I would uh, I would leave. So I was like, okay, well, we, we have to come up with a reason why she's kind of stuck in this situation where she can't leave. Um, so, um, but I wrote, this, wrote the film specifically for the lead actress. She's been in a couple of my short films. And uh, um, I, so I knew that, you know, as I was writing it, that was the, that was the actress that was going to play the lead role. Well, and to be fair about the trailer comment the film made, it would be hard to do a trailer for this film and not give something away. Well, it was funny because I made yeah. that trailer. I made that trailer <laughs> as kind of like a little teaser, and then they decided to use it as the main trailer. So, I really, honestly, <laughs> I made that for, for like teaser purposes, and then all of a sudden, it was they decided to use it. So, isn't that um, how it always works? Yeah, <laughs> be funny. Um, now, uh, for folks are uh, maybe confused. Um, uh, you said a, a woman and her son running away from her her, her girlfriend. So so it, this would be considered an LGBT Correct. film, I would assume, right? Yes, yes, totally. Okay. And, and she, uh, you know, like uh, Sarah is part of the LGBTQ community, um, and so is Lori, who plays the the ex girlfriend. So um, you know, again, Lori, I had known for like ten years and had not worked with before. And actually, she uh, she was living in Atlanta at the time that I was having people audition for this film. Um, but I, again, her and Sarah had known each other for for a long time, so they were able to have some chemistry between the two of them. But they almost never share any screen time, so that was actually uh, something that I thought was kind of interesting because everybody was like, "Well, how did you guys kind of get them to be?" a couple when they don't really show they have as much screen time together. And that was mainly because they knew each other at that point. So, um, and then obviously Patrick McGee plays the, the adopted son. He is uh, uh, kind of well-known in the Kansas city area doing, he's doing theater. He played tiny Tim recently in the Christmas Carol uh, here in Kansas city, but he's the son or the grandson of several well-known um uh, actors here in Kansas City. So he's been kind of like doing this for a long time. And I was worried at first casting, you know, obviously an eight-year-old to play such a major part in an independent film. But, you know, he was running circles around his most of the time. <laughs> I kept thinking, oh, he's going to get tired and and uh, want to quit. And like, you know, we were doing overnights. We were doing like a 5 p.m. to 5 a.m. schedule. But, you know, three, 3 in the morning, he's still dr- drinking Coca-Cola. And all of us are trying to stay awake. So... ah youth when you could just stay up all night and like bedtime was just you know why are you making me go to bed when i can run around for two straight days yeah i mean we found the perfect location uh for this for the house that's supposed to be abandoned um it was a house owned by a friend of mine actually it's a lady i worked with on nail biter 
And she kept saying, oh, for years, I have this house in the middle of nowhere in Kansas on a farm, and I'm, it's been deserted since 2007. And so finally, I'm like, hey, I have a project that would work for this. Can we, you know, can we shoot there? And so it, it worked. But we obviously, Topeka is about an hour and 20 minutes from Kansas City, so all the crew had to be put up in hotels and stuff like that uh, in Topeka. Right, right. Now, um, um, let's let's uh, discuss uh, what what is, what is uh, what makes this film a horror film. Well, it, it's a horror film for two reasons. Obviously, it's got supernatural elements that are creepy with with the house, but that's not the only reason. I mean, also, it's a domestic thriller with kind of an abusive ex girlfriend situation. Um, and it's about kind of ending the cycle of violence and all that. So there's, I would say there's a very real, uh, horror element to it that people can maybe relate to in some capacity. And then you have the supernatural elements that I think are obviously make it a little bit more fantastical, but I, it, w- the challenge was, was trying to keep that balanced because I didn't want it to go too far in a domestic thriller and I didn't want it to go too far in a, into like a haunted house movie. So, um, but I felt like there's, you know, at least two different elements of the story that people can kind of point to that that would suggest it's a horror movie. Yeah, and I, I like. Oh, let's go ahead, Chris. You can, you no, go ahead, Phil. Okay, I was I gonna, a... Yeah, sure, sure. Um, basically, I was going to say, um, um, yeah, that's one thing that uh, I noticed about the film, which was kind of interesting. And uh, um, Barrett will get a kick out of this because I always say this term, but um, the, the film is is uh, half cluster B and half. T- um, supernatural horror. So, it, it, cluster B meaning sociopaths and and what and not you know the like that that those type of horror films where there's no supernatural in it. Right. And then there's a second half or a second part of the film, like you said, you, you're trying to weigh it evenly, where there, there's a, uh, a supernatural aspect to the horror as well. So so you get the 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 thriller, uh, you know, bad quote-unquote guy uh just just as a generic term but you know it's a woman in this case um and then a um supernatural element as well um and uh i think i think you you did balance it pretty well um now chrissy you were going to say something um yeah that was actually a really good lead-in to one of the questions that i had um And that is your films, which is part of why I really am attracted to all of your work. You do a lot with toxicity, relationship toxicity. And I'm wondering what some of your major thematic statements are regarding that, like as you see it, because I know what I pick up when I watch your films and kind of what is trying to be said, but do you ever think about the messages that you're trying to like, not like messages, like I'm on my soapbox, here's my hammer. Right. <laughs> but you know, every story that anybody writes or creates has a theme. And then there's usually something that the artist is trying to say about that theme. And I'm just curious, like if you, if you think about this or do they just sort of come out of you? Like what? it's a little bit of both. I mean, I think some of it was just coming natural while I was writing it. I was writing the script during 2020. So a lot of the things were going through my mind at the time. I mean, obviously the big thing I was trying to hold on to was the idea that, there's been a cycle of abuse in the relationships that are happening in this film, and it needs to stop at some point. And it's like, okay, 
the Adrian character is where it's going to stop. Obviously, that's not really a spoiler. I mean, that's where the movie, the trajectory of the movie is. So I wanted to be really, uh, I wanted to be about that, but also it's on, you know, uh, that's the layer that's on top of the foundation that it's a ghost story. Um, Or you could see it the other way. It's a ghost story on the foundation of it being about the cycle of abuse. But like Arbor Demon, for instance, deals with a lot of toxicity as well, where the idea that, you know, um, it's that marital uh, str- uh, stress between the two of them, and mm-hmm. he wants to have a child, and she doesn't, but then she she's hiding the fact that she's pregnant. Those are all things. It's funny because it's like at the time I was writing that movie with my co-writer, I my wife was actually pregnant. So there was also like this kind of feeling like, I'm an artist. Am I going to be able to handle being a filmmaker and also being a parent? You know what I'm saying? There was that stress going through my mind. As I was, I was as I was writing that. So there's some of some of those um, ideas kind of seeped through into the characters. Um, but yeah, with with um, with they wait in the dark. Yeah, obviously that my my main theme was was obviously the fact that she's had this toxic relationship. But it's funny because it's like it makes the, the audience think that it's the toxic relationship is one going one way, and when when by the time you get to the end of the film, you realize the toxic relationship is kind of a little bit more complicated than maybe what you think it was um, initially in the story. Um, but yeah, no, I'm always thinking about those things, but at some point I'm just kind of writing the story as it feels like I didn't have an ending figured out ahead of time. I've had several people ask me if <laughs> so I, I was going to ask. Yeah. Did the I, ending I, come I did first not. Did I the did not. I honestly can say like you, you watch some of those, like, so, like certain movies, like M night Shyamalan films and stuff like that. And you, you're like, he had to have like, like, thought backwards, you know, or, you know, and from the, from the ending to, to, to the beginning of the film, this one, I was just kind of like, as I was writing, it was kind of like revealing itself to me in some ways, you know, and, and for That's me, that's actually was, more impressive to me just because you flip things yeah. so nicely on their head yeah. by the end of the film. Um, and it's so unexpected that it yeah. just jumps out at you. And yeah. I, I yeah. really liked that. I felt like I needed to have an aha moment in the movie because otherwise it felt, you know, it could, it, haunted house movies can feel very standard at times. And I wanted to do something where it kind of flipped your expectations a little bit. And, and so, um, but a lot of that, man, it's really boring to watch me write. I'm literally just sitting in a, in my kitchen, like sitting at the kitchen Island. And I'm just kind of staring off in the space, trying to get this movie to, you know, to, to kind of seep out of me. And, um, but it was a lot of fun. I, my producer, Megan, who actually plays the abusive mom who's in the flashbacks, she was the main producer on the film. And, um, I would send her like 10, 15 pages a day to look at and she would be like, okay. And then she would come back with questions and things that she didn't think were believable or weren't working for her. So, um, so it was interesting how it kind of all worked because I wrote it pretty quickly. And then I would go back in and, and revise and stuff. So it was probably one of the faster scripts I've written, too. And Because there'll be ones where I'll start, I, I, like I'm sure a lot of people do, is I'll start on, on and I'll get about 25 pages in. And then I find myself working on a different film and getting distracted and having to come back months later and trying to remember where the hell I left off. you know. But this one, it was like I knew we were going to make something. She had approached me um, a couple months before, and she's like, I'm – She's like, I'm turning 40 and I want to make a feature. I'm like, all right, cool. And so she was like, I will, you know, be the primary financer for this film. And I'm like, fantastic, let's do it. Obviously, she gave me a number of what we needed to stick to. So I was like, okay, budgetary wise, this is my my cap. 
And so I was like, okay, that means yeah, as few locations as possible, not so many characters. So we kind of kept it to four more, four main characters and two or three locations. One that was like, I think we shot at the house for nine of the 12 days. The whole thing was shot in 12 days, which I, again, like, wow. <laughs> well, and so, uh, <laughs> Arbor Demon, which was a which was called Enclosure when we shot it in South Carolina, um, was shot in 12 days as well. So I, I which I don't recommend doing. I, I I prefer doing having a longer schedule, but it just you know it comes down to money, and if you don't have a lot of money to spend, you have to shoot quickly. Um, and we were fortunate that the house that we filmed in for They Wait in the Dark, which is kind of its own character, it really looked like that. We didn't have to do too much to make it look the way it did um, in the film. Uh, we were able to just leave our gear there overnight and then come back the next day without having to, you know, move everything back in and relight. We could leave all the equipment in there, which saved us time with the setups, which gave us more time to shoot. So I think that's part of the reason why we were able to get it done as fast as we did. Yeah, and uh, getting back to what you were saying about a haunted house film and not wanting to do something had, that had been done, I think that just naturally the reason that haunted house films become very predictable mm -hmm. um, and very patterned and very kind of set yeah. is because really a haunted house is just a metaphor for the things that haunt us. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, you always have a trigger, right? It's like trauma. Mm -hmm. Okay. So these people, they, it's always like they move into a new house or they move into a new place and it's okay. Bang. You're bringing your trauma with you. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's really interesting that in this film you chose to really, you know, use that haunted house idea as a way to amplify right. the trauma rather than triggering it. Right. Which I thought was really interesting because it is very clear um, at the beginning of the film that she's got serious problems. Right. And right. we are not surprised that she has serious problems. And then I'm going to not give any spoilers, but then you kind of question toward the end of the film. And this was one of the things we were discussing when we were talking about your film on dark discussions was that it may not appear to be the situation that she supposedly was running from may not actually appear to be what we think it is. And so I think just in general, you did use the haunted house in a, a different way. Um, yeah, we had a lot of discussions about what the nature of the haunting was. Yeah. So it, that, it did spark a lot of discussion. One of the big ones that uh, I kept on bringing up was it was the haunting followed the person like insidious rather than the location. Yeah, yeah, I mean that's. I mean, I obviously it's. I used the candles being lit and kind of the whole, a little bit of that whole seance backstory just to kind of give it a little bit of, the you know he's the one who obviously I don't want to give anything away but Adrian lights the candles and that's kind of a you know what spurs some stuff to happen, um, and I didn't want to go into a lot of. I think sometimes a lot of haunted house movies, kind of self destruct under their. Uh, exposition. I did not mm -hmm. want to go. I did not want to go into a lot of exposition where it's like, well, this is what's what's happened for me. Like even the best 
The only movie, the only haunted house movie where the exposition is like poetry is Poltergeist. It's like, yes. mm-hmm. you know, what I'm saying like it's like you hear it and you're like, I, it's beautiful the way they do it. But from there on, it always feels like it just seems like belabored. And so I was like, I'm just not going to go into that much. I'm going to hint at it, but I'm not going to. And it's enough for the audience to kind of understand what's happening. Well, and, and there or was make a... their. Sorry. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Right. I was, I was just, just going to say, or make their own decision on right. what they think happened. Right. Exactly. Which I like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't want to have, I didn't need Tangina to show up, you know, and, and explain everything. Or it's like, also, it's like for me, Insidious, which I think is a great movie. Until the, the, the guys show up to kind of explain what's happening. And then it just, for me, always kind of lost. It went down a notch, even though I still think it's a great movie. It just, for me, it always loses something when they start explaining. And that, I think that goes for a lot of horror movies. If it, once the oh, ex- yeah. Once the yeah. Exposition, exposition comes in, I'm like, I don't know if I just tune it out or I just kind of get a little bit more disappointed, maybe. I don't know. Um, and so I think I, any story that applies to any story. Right, right. There's only a few movies that really pull. Ironically, uh, I think Jurassic Park is one where, when the exposition happens, it doesn't feel so weird and out of place. Um, you know, so for me, like that was part of the challenge. I'm like, I, I, like I've, I watch every horror movie that I can get my hands on, and so I'm always like, that's kind of the tipping point for me in movies is when the exposition starts. Do I stay like immersed in the story, or do I immediately kind of sigh and? you know, find myself thinking about other things, you know, that I, you know, so, so yeah, that was for me. I was trying to find a way of doing it without overly explaining and uh, talking down to the audience. Cause I think the audience is smart and can figure that stuff out. Or at yeah, least I, yeah, I, yeah. Come to some conclusion, you know, what I was going to say is that you did a lot with backstory reveal and things like that through, you know, colors, like everything around her was red in the beginning. And that to me was a huge signal Mm -hmm. um, that, okay, her life is violent. Like there's, you know, I didn't, the way that she was just looking around in the parking lot when they were leaving. Okay. That tells me a whole bunch about what she's running from. I don't need a whole story. Um, And so I think that is really the best way that things can be done is just by being suggestive, throwing little hints here and there and kind of let the audience put it together. And that was one of the things I really appreciated about this movie was that there was room for interpretation. Right, right. Um, Yeah. So but anyway, I'll let some of the other guys talk. Poor Phil hasn't talked at all. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, well, yeah, all right. I'll, I'll, I'll uh, ask some stuff. Um, now, uh, um, you, like like Christy mentioned, you, you know, we, we've uh, done Nail Biter and we've done uh, Arbor Demon on the podcast, and, and then we've done this film here. And, and one thing, uh, I think all three of us, as well as our other co-host uh, that couldn't attend tonight, um, thought was pretty pretty cool was was that there were multiple twists um, in this film that that kind of um, took everyone uh aback in the sense that they weren't expecting it so yeah. so you did your job v- very well um where, where did you come up with these ideas for the twist obviously they're they're main part of of the story and based off of uh who those characters right. actually are as people so maybe maybe you had them all planned originally and then we just learn more things as as things 
progress in the film. There, there was, I think, about a halfway point through the script where I knew where at least knew that what the final twist was going to be. Um, and it's funny because like the twist that happens before that is more a little bit more obvious. Like we we understand when that happens, it isn't quite. It's almost like the red herring twist before we get the final twist. Um, but yeah, no, I think it was probably about the halfway point where I was. I'm like laying out who else is part of this story and what would it, what, you know, it, we've got, you know, obviously the, the mom in the flashbacks who, who would be the obvious, uh, who's a perpetrator of violence, obviously, but is the obvious choice for the, for the, what we think is the ghost. Um, obviously it's hard to talk about this without giving it away. In some <laughs> sure. of, course, but, of course. But, you know, um, I had like all of the people who were involved in the story, completely thought out so then it felt like a little bit more like a natural move to to have that twist make sense at the end of the story you know what i'm saying yeah. um, it wasn't like i pulled some random character that was not ever part of that you know of, of the story um uh, and uh yeah i mean like i again like i was it, it took me to about the halfway point to kind of come up with that twist but none of that i usually it's funny because most of my scripts i write out a detailed treatment of beforehand to make it easier for me to write the script i didn't do that this time it was it was kind of like i started writing it and kind of felt it out to the point where it was like i did the first act entirely just sitting there writing it you know and and then by the time i hit the you know act two which is always kind of the hardest part of the script to write because that's kind of the part where if you watch most movies if there's any moments that's kind of sag it's usually in act two um and i knew that i wanted this to be kind of a tight 85 minute movie i didn't want to go any longer than that for a for budgetary reasons b because i feel like most horror movies shouldn't be much longer than 90 minutes um i I feel that way i don't know if anybody else does but uh so um i i at least kind of had an idea where i was going but i never wrote out a treatment which is which is it's weird because that's like the first time i i did it that way where i just kind of just open my laptop and just started and um and that's kind of how this all went so um but i had like i had the news playing in the background and i don't know if some news stories were seeping into my mind (laughs) while i was watching it you know it was 2020 so it was kind of a kind of a rough year so it was was a lot of i I, you know and it's funny because people who've seen the movie they're like oh Man, are you pulling some stuff from your childhood into this? I'm like, no, my childhood was great. <laughs> you know, I have to explain. Like, my parents are like, we didn't do anything. I'm like, you guys are great. You guys are awesome. I had a great childhood. Um, but yeah, I just had some. You know, I have some ideas that I've I've always kind of wanted to to bring into stories. And and for me, like the big thing was trying to. I always wanted to do a haunted house movie, but I just had to come up with an idea that I felt like was a different. it's funny because like i've always wanted to do a slasher movie and i've always like trying to come up with an idea that's never been done for that kind of uh subgenre so like every subgenre of horror i'm always trying to like figure out a way to make it slightly different like we'll be waiting well with (laughs) with arbor demon i'm like how do i make a camping movie that's slightly different you know like just slightly different or with nailbiter i'm like how do we make a monster movie it's set in Kansas in a cellar that's slightly different from, you know, anything else like that. So, um, and then with I am Lisa, which actually was a script that the writer approached me and like, it's a revenge movie, but it's also got some undertone of, of werewolf, 
uh, lore in it. So it's kind of like a little different spin on that. So as far as a slasher movie, I have an idea, but it's like, you know, um, I don't think it's been done before. I've watched just about every slasher movie you can think of. Actually, full confession, my favorite type of horror movie is a slasher movie. 100%. And nobody ever expects that from me because I've never made a slasher movie. And it's only because I'm like, I have to think of something that hasn't really been done before, you know? And um, Well, and I think, too, we just keep talking about stuff, you know, whether we're writers or painters or filmmakers or whatever. I think we just keep talking about the things that it's sort of like how we work out our inner issues. Sure. And so while you may, yes, mom and dad, I had a great childhood with you. It was great. But you might be talking about some other issue and using parents as your metaphor for whatever it is you're really talking about. Well, you know what I mean? Right. For me, like, I, I think one thing, it's interesting because I didn't realize it until I started really, you know, uh, thinking about it is I've always had a little bit of a phobia of feeling like I was going to get trapped in a in a small town that, you know, like. That feeling of, of uh, I grew up in a small town in Nebraska, and I love my hometown, but the idea of, of never going anywhere and kind of being stuck there. So there's a little bit of that in some of my movies where I'm like, that feeling of being trapped in a small location, you know, the cellar, the the, the tent, the, the house in this movie, like, that's all stuff I'm always kind of thinking, like, I don't, I like the big city, I like having, like, my, you know, I, I can you know, have room to breathe. And so I, I'm thinking that that's something psychological that I've always dealt with where I have nightmares where I'm back in school and I'm like, and I, again, I didn't dislike school, but I have always like, I'm back in high school and I, there's a class I forgot to take. And I'm always like, you know, there's those, I don't have nightmares about monsters chasing me. It's always like my high school teachers, you know? Um, but there's a, a sense of like being stuck in a, like, being stagnant, being stuck in a small place. I was um, just going to say, if if you look at the films, at least of yours that I've seen and recently, yeah. Yeah. they're all about people that can't get unstuck. Yeah. They're yeah. all about people that are just trapped. Like they're either psychologically trapped, they're trapped by their pasts or their traumas, yeah. or they're trapped by their own fear and that yeah. they can't whatever. Yeah. So that makes total sense. You yeah. said that and I went, Oh God, yeah, that makes yeah. sense. If I yeah. think about Arbor Demon and I think about Nailbiter and that makes total sense. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. really what you're talking about underneath mm-hmm. being stuck. And in this case, the abusive parent. Right, it's the little girl who can't get away from her abusive parent, and she then she gets she's in a situation there. where she's reliving it. You know, she's yep. reliving it with her with her uh, ex girlfriend, even though she's running yep. from it. She's still in a cycle, um, and really the biggest victim of it is Adrian. You know, and so um, yeah, and you know, and again, like I, I've seen this happen with other people too. So it's kind of like I am pulling from experiences but some of it's from other people's experiences as well so um yeah so another thing we talked a bit about was where did the title come from mm. uh and it's interesting because i the way i people go who are they and i'm like okay <laughs> yeah the way i if i give away that because the ending of the movie also recontextualizes the title because if you're mm-hmm. thinking, you know, it's the ghost, but it's actually 
other characters that are waiting in the dark. You know what I'm saying? And, and it's it's I, how do I say this without giving too much away? Um, I think you just answered the question. Uh, yeah, like that was my <laughs> idea was that all right, the, the people are going to wonder what we mi- mean by they. It's like um what was the movie that it comes at night? Was that the movie that uh, age eight twenty four released? Yeah, 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 that's a great film. That was a yeah. great film, yeah. but it was a strange where, title too. Yeah, <laughs> another strange title where I was like, okay, I want this title to kind of make people question what it means. And then when they see the ending of the movie, they're like, oh, okay. So maybe we thought it was refer- referencing this, but it's actually referencing this. That makes sense. See, I kind of thought, and it's in the review, but I kind of thought that metaphorically it was really about all of those things that you don't really know and you, and you are in yourself. Yeah, and yeah. then they're always hiding there. Yes. And then one day they're going to come out. I think that's what I said, right? Yes, there. And I, I think, think that's, yeah. and I think you can totally, that's another great interpretation of what the title is. Um, I think that the literal t- interpretation is more about uh, two of the characters, but then the more like metaphorical is what you just said. Obviously none of it refers to necessarily the ghost. Um, but, when right, you're, but, it could. but when you're looking at the title, you might think that this is a movie about, you know, the boogeyman or creatures living in the, you know. Um, but, yeah, it's good that, that that the title has created discussion. You know, it's not like it's uh, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. There's not much discussion about that title. <laughs> well, I've always there's thought. Not much as, much about as, it. as much as I like the title, there's not much discussion. Wait, much you debate. like slashers. Did you see it? I did. I, I, I saw it, too. I did. And, and shockingly, um, I didn't mind it. Uh, but I had also heard that it was a lot of like bad word of mouth. And then I, I watched it. Yeah. And I was just like, yeah. Um, I thought it took itself too seriously. And that's that why was, I was like, that down. was my, my, that was my biggest problem with it is that maybe it needed to be, it'll be interesting to see if they actually make a sequel. That's got a little bit more like a budget, like a, like a terrifier and a terrifier two sort of, yeah, yeah. um, uh, kind of, a, you know, obviously the budget went way up between those two movies. So. Had to ask since you said you love slashers, I, and that's I never, definitely a slasher. I, yeah, I, I watch, you know, I watch any slasher I can watch. I've tried to, like, dig in the ones I've never seen before um, from the 80s. Um, and part of that is because I grew up being told not to watch them, and so then I did watch them. You know, um, Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, um, Child's Play, all those movies that were, you know, influenced me as a kid, um, which is why I've just got, like, a lot of love for them and um scream i love the scream movies um but i'm always like every now and then i just sit back i'm like all right what would be a good idea for a slasher movie that hasn't been done because there's been so many that get made that kind of fade away yeah. because people i think people think they're so easy to make and it's be, and it's really actually very complicated to make one that hits um like terrifier 2 was like for some that movie hit with a lot of people. Um, I, so it's, I, I'm always kind of trying to brainstorm an idea that in, that I'm like, I got to put that to paper right now and I need to make it. But also something that's like affordable, you know, you have to think in terms of budget as well. Um, I'm always trying to come up with ideas that I know I can pull off um, it, successfully because I try, I try not to bite off more than I can chew, even though I definitely want to work with bigger budgets than I've been working with. But um, you know, the opportunities that I've had, I've had to kind of like, okay, what project fits that, that type of budget? Um, 
which I felt like they way in the dark. I was like, I can do a lot with this particular concept with very little money, you know, um, and try to make it look like it cost a heck of a lot more than it did, you know. So do you lean more towards making horror movies or are you is is that your your preference? Yeah, I think so. Like, I, I mean, obviously, I would like to make some sci-fi films at some point, but uh, and I made one family film, but that was again, that was and it was it's on it's on Peacock. It's called Belong to Us, and um, I was hired to direct it. Like the, the the writer had a different director who dropped out, and then they approached me, and and I'm glad I did it. It was a lot of fun, um, but I prefer obviously focusing on horror. Um, and that's not just because of budget, but that's just because it's my favorite genre. I, I I typically don't miss any horror movie, no matter what it is. I try to watch it. Um, and well, yeah, and you know, I, I was gonna say too. You know, you're talking about budget and doing things, and I just wanted to note that I was like super impressed with the special effects in this. Mm-hmm. I um, was very impressed. And one of the things I wanted to ask you was like, I mean, I don't know how the did you do some of that stuff? Like, yeah, there are higher budget movies that don't do as good. That a job. do not do what you did as well. <laughs> well I mean, this our- movie was scary, and I appreciated the fact too. And I think I did mention this also in our review thing. But you did so much with raising tension and getting people frightened with like, oh, here's the flutter of a window curtain. Sure. Like I was uh, like, holy crap! That is like the best way. Like less is more. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that, was, that, that was I think that was our more. that was our mantra when we were making it because I was like, you know, I'm not a huge fan of CGI, even though like again, like I love Jurassic Park, I love Star Wars, I love C- I love movies with lots of CGI, but it never seems to work with horror. It always seems to make the horror movies seem less real or it pull, mm-hmm. it, just, it it comes off you know fake. So I told them, I said, look, here's the deal. We're doing everything practical and we're going to re- we're going to pull back. We're not going to show the special effects till the absolute last moment that we need to. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think sometimes you give away your hand too early. You show things halfway through the movie. And from there on out, the movie isn't as scary. Um, I tried to do that with Arbor Demon where I didn't want to show the creatures in that movie until the last possible moment. But there, obviously... I may not have done a perfect job, but I, I tried my best to make it that way. Um, and sometimes, like, it's funny because the audience, depending on who your audience is, that can work or, or backfire. Because there's always going to be horror fans who want to see as much blood and guts as soon as as soon as possible. <laughs> and with this movie, I was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna be restrained, and my audience I'm aiming for is going to appreciate that. There's always going to be like people who are going to be disappointed with that. And if you try to please everybody, you're going to be disappointed. So I was, I'm kind of like, no, I'm going to focus on being a slow burn movie. I'm going to make make the ghost effects restrained, but I'm going to definitely make them worthwhile when you finally see them. Um, and obviously, yeah, Jake Jackson did the makeup effects, and he did a fantastic job. Um, and, you know... When we finally saw, he and I had kind of dis- discussed the design of what it was going to look like, and we were kind of homaging um, some Fulci, some Lucio Fulci uh, style uh, effects with the eyes and everything like that. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I didn't want to do any CGI because there was a couple horror movies I saw 
beforehand that I thought were almost perfect until some CGI showed up and immediately I was like, I was taken out of the movie. Um, so sometimes for me, it's like, if you can't, I think practical is always going to be better. Um, no matter what, I just feel like very few horror movies that have had tons of visual effects have worked in the long run. I think like Poltergeist, I keep referring to Poltergeist because it's one of my favorite movies, but if you think about it, 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 it's one of the few that has all these amazing optical effects and is still scary. Usually Mm -hmm. like when you see all those, you immediately are kind of like pulled out of it because it just doesn't seem real. But that movie, for some reason, the optical effects in that movie don't, it doesn't take away from the terror, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Well, because Uh, I think with that film, they really did a lot with, again, less is more, mm -hmm. right? They they did like, you know, the lights coming down the stairs, but they, and you kind of see a ghost shape, but not really, and they... Yeah. I mean, I think that you see it on the TV monitor or something, but the thing is, is that they, everything they do, even the stupid steak thing. Yeah. The like, I think that's the, my favorite bit. But, but, the only <laughs> cheesy effect in that is the guy ripping off his face where you but can kind of tell still, his it's face. Still, it's still creepy. But it's still it's, creepy. Yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, yeah. So, I mean, I think less is more is the rule that a lot of horror films should follow. Just I wish because would. <laughs> or I wish would just because if you push it too far, it's cheesy, and then yeah. it's not scary anymore. I can't remember what horror movie I saw that I actually used. I said, okay, you watch this movie as kind of what I'm going for with They Wait in the Dark, but it was like, it was perfect, but it had some CGI that just took me out of it. Um, but yeah, it was funny, because if you watch Poltergeist, the first 30 minutes, it takes its time like, I don't think Carol Ann disappears to, like, the 30-minute mark of that movie. Yeah. And that's, if you think about modern audiences, that's insane. Because they would be like, why hasn't anything happened in the first 10 minutes of this movie, you know? And that movie, But the reason why that movie's effective is because it's built its um, characters and it's, built, it's taken its time to make you feel emotionally involved in what's going on. Um, which is what? one reason, you know... It's situations that make things scary, I think. The human's experience, and, like, your movie is about their experience, and the right. scary, mostly the scary part of that that's real. Right. Like, you know, kind of, kind of compare it to, like, Midsummer. In the beginning of Midsummer, yep. you know, her, she finds out her whole family's dead, and it's that's, just... Yeah, a, and that was... That that's one of the most scary. Of, yeah. <laughs> like, one of the most effective first scenes I've ever seen in a movie. Like, it was just very yeah. effective. But yours is similar to that. It's the experience that these these people are going through, right? That brings you to this final moment, right? And that's scarier than anything else, right? Right. Well, and you know, you had a good point too about Poltergeist with the character buildup. We see their married life. We see how happy they are. Right. We get a sense of the chaos in their family. Um, you know, we get a sense of who they are. So we connect that when Carol Ann disappears, it's like, oh no, you know, and that's the problem I think with a lot of modern films, if I can go there, it's like a lot of talking heads and I don't give a crap. I don't care about these people. Like you're putting them in a situation. I need to care about them. Right. And one of the litmus tests I've always used for a film I always used to joke around and go, well, I cry, you win. If I cry at any point in that movie, 
Yeah. That means the writer did his or her job. Right. Because right. you reached me emotionally. Right. And I think today it's like, oh, well, let's just put some stuff up there and like, let's get into all this action. Um, like, on this, I haven't even had a chance to mention this to the other guys. But, you know, I was watching, we went to see Jurassic World Dominion. And I walked out of that movie and I said, okay, there are some things in here that are like, what is going on? Like, I don't understand what, why Owen was in the forest or whatever, sure. you know, and there were definitely some things that were not clear and not explained. So then the movie had kind of a choppy feel to it. Now, I'm not saying that even if they put all that stuff back in, it's awesome. I'm just saying. So then I watched the director's cut or the, the full cut. And I went, oh, my God, the improvement in the film I heard, was I heard amazing. That. I heard but, that. But they had to give me a seven-minute or a ten-minute thing of bicycles going too fast and screaming where I couldn't even see the dinosaurs as he's on a motorbike. Yeah. Okay, you know what? Here's my Here's my answer to that. Cut four minutes out of that fucking crap. We don't need five, you know, ten minutes of it. Four minutes right. is plenty. Right. And don't go so fast. It was so fast I couldn't even see the dinosaurs. I felt like I was going to throw up. I'm like, I'm here to see dinosaurs. And you're yeah. racing right by them. You weren't there so, to see giant locusts? <laughs> like, but my point is like, just that. <laughs> They're cut. They, they these films now. It's like, oh, let's make twenty minute action sequences with no story. I don't. Yeah. You don't need all that, and you know well, the budgets could be less if they didn't have to do all that. And I firmly believe you don't have to, unless your whole point is just, you know, we're gonna do a porno and then we're gonna have an hour of sex. Well, it's a porno. That's yeah. what people want is an hour of sex. Well, dinosaurs killing people. That's what dinosaurs. we got. Out of yeah. yeah. <laughs> but That's you funny, gotta have the story. I saw it one time. I saw it. And I I I didn't despise it, but I thought that it was. Um, clunky uh i would probably like to watch the director's cut um i i enjoyed seeing jeff goldblum that was the only reason i watched it. <laughs> <laughs> now um I, I have a question about uh your movie sure. um let's let's get into it because we, we had a minor debate without any spoilers but was there satanist involved in the film because at the end um, I was debating that it was something to do with this Satanism. And now it could be my own interpretation it, it, because uh, there was characters that had um, I, I felt were robes while some of our other co-hosts who aren't on this uh, um, interview with us uh, said that maybe it was just hoodies. Um, but but it, it felt very satanic ritual like. But are you talking about the seller? In the cellar, is that what you're yeah, about? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so maybe, maybe it was just my interpretation, or maybe it wasn't supposed to be, but you made it want to feel that way, or maybe it was just a total coincidence. Yeah, the twist, the twist part of it, where they're doing what they're doing. Yeah, because it felt it, felt very <laughs> satanic. Yeah, because oh, they they look I like see. they look like they're in black. But yeah, like so, so they have the hoods. It looked like hoodies. But yeah. to Phil, it looked like a robe, like satanic so, robes. Yeah, they were just—they were literally in black hoodies. Those are just hoodies. Okay. No, they were just—they right. were just—they um, <laughs> were just being, you know, it, it, there wasn't anything satanic going on. Um, Damn. 
I but, felt it was uh, awesome, is, even better. That is, amazing. Damn it. that is amazing. I'm actually, because I'm actually, um, Sarah and I are actually on a talk show tomorrow here in Kansas City. I'm going to tell her you guys, <laughs> that's interesting. That's well, the okay. way you filmed it, too, I can see where it filmed right, And the things they said. They're standing next to each other. They're being very obscure. Yeah, right. and, 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 and the things they said, or specifically one character, and then the other character was was like having to do something that that made it feel like they didn't want to do, but they, they're doing yeah. it because of this ritual or something. So it felt like a ritual to me. Uh, but but yeah yeah uh, that was not my intention but that is that is really interesting I, I like I like that no I just wanted them to be in black hoodies I told the, the the person who was doing costumes I said please put them in like their like you know and in the most creepy kind of outfit that but that is that's interesting I you know I'm gonna rewatch that scene and I'm gonna watch it from that point of view now and I don't, well, yeah. show their leg. I don't think you show their legs either. So it's really yeah, hard right, to right. So it looks like it was it was it was worse. I, I, well, I wonder how many people are gonna think that. Um, it's a really great symbolistic connection. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like in any case, because it does sort of connect to the plot. I mean, Phil has a point. You yeah. know, it connects the plot in a way. I don't so have a problem really with cool. I don't have a problem with anyone interpreting it that way. Um but yeah, no, that that's kind of just an accident in terms of the way I shot it, I guess, in the in the in the costumes. But um, uh, and that, and just to kind of give you a little bit, that was the when people see the movie, that was the very last thing we filmed for the movie. That was ah. that was the last scene that we shot for the entire film. Um, and what a way to go! <laughs> Afterwards, well, we're like, yeah. all right, we're wrapped. What do we do now? I guess we just drink. Yeah, it. that's the harshest scene. I know. I wanted, you know, well, and I mean, part of oh, that was, it was dreadful scene. It was hor- horrifying. It was a true horror film scene. Well, and that's the thing is that um, I wanted us to build to that point because you know you can't start your film shooting a scene like that because there's an emotional arc that even the actors are going through, and I felt like that needed to be like the final thing we shot. Um, so, I mean, some of that, like, I don't like to shoot, I mean, obviously, you can't shoot a movie in order, necessarily, unless you're doing a, a specific type of movie, um, but I definitely was trying to be somewhat strategic in the, in the way we shot, in terms of, like, shooting it in somewhat of an order that makes sense, that the actors aren't like, all right, today we're doing the the very, like, last <laughs> scene of the movie first, you know, I, and it's funny, because I don't what was it, what was I reading about? Oh, <laughs> Going on a tangent, the movie Independence Day, when the president gives the speech to the crowd, or whatever, <laughs> that was his first day on set. And I'm kind of like, that is amazing. That is the first thing he shot for that movie. Because he had to have a lot of emotion for that whole scene. Yeah. I mean, so so we tried to keep it. Obviously, um, the very first thing we ever shot for the movie was, um, i trying to think what day one was, the motel stuff was first. So we were kind of keeping it in order. Um, we did motel and then we did um, gas station, and then we did diner. So we tried to do – so it, that allowed us to kind of keep the, the house scenes in a specific order and kind of build to that um, those final moments. Now, did so, your actors know their full arc before they got to filming anything? Oh, yeah, yeah. They, okay. they had the full script, and um, I think by the time I, I was ready to shoot it, like I don't – I'm just kind of like, you know – Here's everything, you know, just give it to them all and allow them to just kind of dive in. I don't like hold anything back. Um, Because for me, like, if if the actor, if the character, if they don't know where their characters are going ahead of time, 
you know, they don't know how to play things necessarily. So, um, but yeah, it was interesting. So, um, Lori, who, who plays, uh, the, the, the seeming villain of the film, um, she, I think she was she was flying in from doing father of the bride like the day before she did our movie so she was doing very two very contrasting types of films so she had a bit role in the movie father the remake of father of the bride next day she's she's filming the gas station scenes for the for the movie so oh those um, are some great scenes too yeah well and that was filmed in leavenworth kansas which is the the obviously the home of the leavenworth prison um and uh, it was funny because obviously I didn't have the budget to close the gas station. And if anyone who's made a movie and tried to film in a working business, it's always a challenge um, trying to get decent audio because you're filming somewhere where that's actually got people walking in and out. But we were fortunate that it wasn't super busy when we were filming. However, when we were filming the scene outside where she gets catcalled by the truck drivers, word got out that we were making a movie. So everybody... We started having a bunch of people pulling into the gas station just to watch this film, and um, which was fine, except when I was filming towards the actual pumps because people were parking at the pumps and filming us with their iPhones. And so oh. I, I would have to explain to them, look, can you just sit in your car and or pretend like you're pumping gas, but you have to stay at the pump because if I have a different car pull in and I – decide to use part of one take and then move to the next. I'm going to have different cars. It's going to be yeah, a continuity, continuity error, right? Right. Yeah. So I basically was like, stay where you are. You can watch, the, but try to stay in your car and don't make it look like you're filming. <laughs> so um, that was pretty interesting. <laughs> she did some good scenery chewing. In that scene. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, and, the, and here's the funny thing is that those three have known each other as well for years. So like, they were having a lot of fun. Like everybody knew each other, which is why why I think maybe that there's a lot of chemistry even in the small scenes like that, um, where it, it, they've just they were laughing between cuts. They were just laughing their 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 tails off, you know. And and uh, um, again, like we were lucky. The hardest scene of the whole film to shoot was the scene where um, Adrian's firing the rifle because obviously. This was about three or four months before the rust incident happened, and and um, but we were so oh, yeah. so particular about. It. We had like an armor on set. We were being just really anal with safety, and so because um, I mean I'm having an eight year old firing a obviously blanks. Um, yeah. It was you know a fake a fake rifle, but still blanks can do a lot of damage. So we were very very careful. But the problem was it was like 105 in the shade that day, so um, we were all like sweating and you know when you're working in the hot sun things can get kind of frustrating you know so it, it was that was the toughest scene to shoot but the rest of the time we were it was relatively the the weather was okay but those are the things you can't control i always tell people you know when you're making a movie you got to plan everything out as good as you can so that when <laughs> when a tornado happens or something like that you're, you you can kind of pivot or in the case of sometimes an actor gets sick or you just never know what's going to happen. So I always tell people be as prepared in terms of like what, like how you're going to stage the scenes. I do table reads with the actors ahead of time so we can work out dialogue changes and all that. So we're not doing that on set because if you're doing that on set. You're taking up everyone's time making changes to the dialogue and all that stuff when you could be just filming. Um, so like, 
obviously because it was 2020 and 2021 we were doing this we we did some table reads over zoom kind of like you know what we're doing here we're just so we had all the actors there and i could hear things out loud and if they're like oh we're going to change this line and this line we would do it then so that when we were on set we could just kind of plow through it as fast not as fast as possible but be as efficient as possible um i think we had one day where we had to get through like 11 pages of scripts <laughs> so and which is an absurd amount absurd amount of the script um but um we were able to do it because i you know i felt good about the casting um i felt like i got the right actors um and they all came very prepared so now um uh just making sure i'm not on mute um now uh i i have a, a really good question and uh crit, crit, well, I'm sounding like a narcissist. I have a really good question. Um, <laughs> but, it's okay, Phil. There, it's I'm, okay. I'm plus the B. There you go. Um, but uh, Chrissy made a good point, which is this film uh, was was noticed by the New York Times, and and that not that the New York Times has the shine that it, it once did, but but to be noticed by what what is still uh, one of the biggest newspapers in, in the country um, says a lot, and and. Not just notice, but actually got a, a rave review. Um, two things: how, how did you get them to notice the film, and also uh, uh, how many, uh, how much dopamine hit you after you got that? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, for the answer to the first question is I'm not 100 percent sure how they got it, other than like we go through a distributor, or a distributor as a publicist attached to the film, um, and so I think they might have sent them the film or got them to look at it um but i was getting my kids ready for school and and um megan my producer she's like holy crap we're in the new york times and they actually liked it i was like you know it was a lot of dopamine let me tell you but i got to think about man if they had not liked it i would be still hiding under a rock at this point, I'd be like, <laughs> you know, those are the kind of things I'm like, man, I'm glad they liked it. Because if they hadn't, then I would be um, hiding. But yeah, so far, we're like 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is a good thing. And it's also a bad thing. Like, I, I always tell people it's fantastic that we're at 100%. But then people think they're going to watch a Marvel movie when they're going to watch it. Because they're like, well, it's 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. So it must be like... Well, you you mean mean they're gonna uh, the Godfather or Taxi Driver? Marvel movies are fluff films, but right, hundred well, percent. You know, the, is like the, the modern, Godfather. You know, I'm what just saying? I'm just saying like genera Generation Z, like modern. Yeah, all right, fair enough. They oh, yeah, see hundred percent and then think, oh, right. I'm gonna watch something that's gonna be, you know, um, right. Uh, Marvel is is their version of Godfather. Right, right. I would, yeah. I mean, that's so, a sad statement. Sure <laughs> yeah, but it's also it, true. It's true. It, it, that's true. Right, yeah. and so and so when you're, they're like, oh, it's a hundred percent of Rotten Tomatoes, and it's not, you know, um, Scream Six, then it just kind of gets there's a backlash um, to it. So I'm kind of like, I'm happy about it being there, and it's right now number nine on their top movies of 2023 horror movies but again we're in april i'm not like delusional i'm like we're in april it's been it's early it'll you know but um i'm happy about it i am i'm truly am because i feel like it helps the movie get noticed and but there's always going to be people out there who are like this movie's too slow this movie sucks this movie you know whatever doesn't have jump scares every five minutes so i knew that going in like i knew that while i was making it so like some of that stuff uh, doesn't surprise me 
And so I'm, but I, that maybe not, isn't the target audience I'm going for in terms of horror. Like at some point I'm going to make a horror movie that is probably going to be more like for the hatchet crowd. Maybe, I don't know. There's the hatchet crowd who wants, wants to see the movie hatchet over and over again. And then there's the crowd who wants something a little bit more intellectually stimulating and a little bit more that they could discuss afterwards and have some, you know, interpretations and stuff like that. There's no, there's no misinterpreting a hatchet movie. So wrong turn. (laughs) <laughs> or wrong turn exactly so i mean it's not that i don't want to make a movie like that but there's also like that i first it doesn't always interest me so that's why whenever i'm trying to come up with a, a slasher movie i'm kind of in my head i'm like well it needs to have more meat to it than just you know some just see uh, and it's funny because i am one of those people that is probably the target audience for things like they come at night and arbor demon and like, I am not a fan of slashers at all. Right. Like, right. I've seen Friday the 13th, okay, yeah. because, you know, yeah. I can't be a horror person and right. not. Right. right. And right. I've seen, you know, a couple of others that were big. Uh, what was the other one? Halloween. But yeah. the original Halloween, to me, had so many more interesting things about it than Friday the 13th. Right. But if you tell me something is a slasher or something's gory, my immediate reaction is, oh, God, I am going to be so bored. Yeah. Like, oh, it's Halloween just going to be people scary, right? and lots Halloween of blood. Was... Well, and that's the other thing, too. I think I'm maybe an unusual person because slashers and, like, home invasion films, too, that stuff doesn't scare me at all. I'm right. like, I'm like, whatever, dude, I'm just watching. It's fine. Um, but I think I'm the person that wants things to me. I'm looking at the horror and tragedy, the horror and sad, the yeah. horror in somebody who was traumatized and yet never gets the better life. Like to right. me, that's horror. That's hell. Right. Right. And, and so I think you're just, like you said, that's not my target audience. Right. And you know, fine. If you're the type of person that just wants to go see a bunch of stuff with no substance, there's nothing wrong with that. But you know, right. you have to use your judgment to right. your own judgment. And you got to know what you got to know what, uh, what, what portion of the horror community you're aiming for. And I think that, yeah. that when I, when I was re- making this movie, I'm like, this is the specific type of don't people who like slasher movies are still going to watch it. And they're probably going to, they're probably going to crap on it on social media. And I just have to accept that, you know? And so, um, so none of that came as a surprise. Like I was, I'm just, so I'm pleased that like it's getting some critical notice and it seems to be, um, I, I mean, it premiered at Fright Fest in London, and that was for, was for me was like the litmus test on how it was going to do because they had screened um, Arbor Demon when it was in closure. They had screened I Am Lisa, and so some of the same critics were coming to me afterwards and saying, "I think this is your best work." I'm like, "Well, it's it's certainly my cheapest work as well." But you know, yeah, <laughs> it was, but 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 uh, um, so that was for me. I was like, "Okay, cool." Um, and, you know, in some ways I had a, uh, and I obviously, you know, Megan was the, was the, the executive producer. I felt a lot of like control on this project. I felt like I, I had a tight grip on it from start to finish. I never felt like I was losing, like it was slipping away from me. I was losing sight of what it was. I kind of had my eyes on it the whole time. So and I edited the film so I could control a lot of that ele- that part of the elements. Because um, a lot of the time, like, 
you'll make a movie and if there's a lot of producers if there's a lot of you know voices that are it's it's again it can become like too many cooks in the kitchen even if you're like you're the director you you know the buck stops with you but even then it's like it can be a tug of war sometimes creatively i didn't feel any of that with this project so um so i'm pleased again after after i got done making the film i told my wife i said because she wasn't i didn't let her know what the movie was about I didn't tell her anything about it. She watched it completely cold. She never saw me working on it downstairs in my house where I'm sitting right now. So when she saw it, it was like seeing something completely, completely fresh. Um, and afterwards, she, I could tell her reaction was very legitimately. She was uh, happy with the film. Um, but yeah, it, it's interesting because it's like I try to keep, I, I really felt felt like I had a lot of creative control over it, which is, which helped I think helped me um but I was like if nobody likes this movie it's almost 100% my fault if people like it <laughs> you know what I'm saying like you feel like you're like all right I'll I'll if I get some good reviews then I you know I I never get like I never pat myself on the back cuz I'm always like I'm just going to I'm thankful and I'm going to try to get my next movie made now so I like it's funny once this movie came out I'm already trying to figure out what I'm going to do next and I start having some type of like uh, existential panic you know you're like oh my god am i not am i not going to get another movie off the ground am i not going to make another movie so i'm right now trying to find like i've got three or four things in the hopper that i'm trying to get going and so i don't have a lot of time where i i don't i don't smell the roses very I typically i'm trying to actually people ask me why i make short films and a lot of that has to do with the fact that i can't sit still yeah. um well, and there's something to really be said for the short form. I think, I mean, I've always been a writer of short stories for that reason. Like, I can only stay really passionately in this mental place right. for a limited time. Yeah. I ha I am in awe of of people who write these big, long novels, and they hang out in that world on and off for, like, years. I mean... Yeah, I just can't do that. Like, that's well, just not the way I'm made. And I think the short form is a beautiful form because you can say, <laughs> yeah, you can say so much in a short form very pointedly and get your message yeah. across really it, clearly and, right. and keep it trim, you know, right. and plus a lot of times shorter things have more punch. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I've been writing this novel tidings since like 2015. I have no idea when I'm going to finish it. It's just not the way I do things. I have to be in that place. I don't know if I'll ever go back there. It's fine. Yeah. I mean, for me, like, and part of it is I just like to work and I like to make, make films and, and features are such a long process and raising mm -hmm. the money is such a process that uh, I, I like to work. I like to be creative and I will just be depressed if I have such a long time waiting, you know what I'm saying? Between projects. Mm -hmm. We were talking about that today. I was like, I don't yeah. know how people, I don't know how directors take 10 years off between projects. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't. Like, I, what What do you do? By the yeah. way, if you're hearing an earthquake and screaming, that is my family. Uh, <laughs> my, my kids are becoming restless. So I, I do have um another question for you. Um, independent. Hey, hi, everybody. Hello. Hi. <laughs> 
independent film has really grown, um, I would say, over the last decade with the expansion of digital platforms and the ability to reach people and certainly, the, you know, of course, the rise of social media and that. Um, where do you see independent film, like, heading in over the next 10 years? Do you see distribution increasing for some of these films? Do you see... Like, because we saw it happen with um, independent writing, right? Small, you know, small houses and writers right. being able to self-publish. And I'm just wondering if this is going to be something that is going to also apply to film now that we have more of this technology and more accessibility. Oh, absolutely. I feel like it now um, the big thing is uh, is less about getting your movie out there. It's more about making money, trying to make money off these movies. Because I, I saw some article uh this week that says like 40 percent of movies that are that are made for fifty thousand or less recoup or make more than that they showed like a chart of kind of like i think what we're going to see is more micro budget movies being made because there's camera camera gear more readily available um people are less willing to take risks with bigger budgets um it's a really weird time because yeah like if you're in this weird budget range of 500 to a million dollars it's a you're you're almost guaranteed to lose that money, so it's like unless you have a twenty four or Blumhouse behind you for for advertising and marketing, it is way harder to be in that budget range. So I think we're going to see a lot more micro budget movies. Um, like you've got like a movie like Skinamarink and the Outwaters making millions of dollars off of <laughs> tiny, tiny, tiny. Okay, <laughs> I, I need to roll my eyes right now. Skinamarink <laughs> was the hey, biggest navel-gazing piece of, piece of shit. Worst Absolutely. movie of the year. Amen. Oh, God. Christy, Awful. you, you I, fucking rule. That movie sucks. Awful. I got Awful. I got five minutes in and said, I'm done. This is like a bad MFA I will project. Say this. I will out. say this. I will say this, that <laughs> They Wait in the Dark's budget wasn't that much more than Skin and but, but that uh, that's, but look a, at that's the a way better film, dude. Way better oh. film. Look at um, the difference. Did you, guys, did, you guys, did you guys see The God. Outwaters by chance? No, Not but we got yet. bad reviews from our other co-hosts talking about it. I... <laughs> Look, look, I bet you. Yeah, I, I would like it. I bet. I'm pretty sure I'm going to like it. I is, would too. It is a trippy, trippy Blair Witch in the desert. Um, that's well, the I thing guess. with me is that I actually never go by reviews. I yeah. never read them. I don't. I. I. If something attracts me, I'll watch it. Right. Which is how I ended up watching Skinamarink because yeah. I was like, oh well, let me try this. And like five or ten minutes in, I was like. Oh my god! I can't do that. This is so yeah. bad. This is I like mean, watching mold grow. I can't do yeah. this. But, and then I said, and then I saw all these glowing reviews all over the place, and I was like, "Are these people high?" Yes, what? yes and they then were. I said, oh yeah. Yes, I they bet were. if you were high, yes. you'd like this. Yes, yes, they were high. Well, yeah. Um, but what, but what I'm noticing, and I think Terrifier Two is actually kind that's of, a good film. Yeah, the reason I like Terrifier Two quite a bit. The the uh. What we're seeing is that these movies that cost like Winnie the Pooh, they cost like under one hundred fifty thousand dollars. Like that's an, an outrageously like all four of those movies, like them or love them or hate them, cost under one hundred fifty thousand, sometimes under fifty thousand, and they're getting much bigger releases because I think that there's you know, obviously there's a, a higher rate of return because they're not and they're. They're being driven off viral marketing, and I think viral marketing is a big thing that's happening right now 
more so now than I mean, it really hasn't since the Blair Witch. Blair Witch was the original viral marketing movie. Um, but like the if you think about it, these distributors aren't necessarily putting a ton of money into marketing, uh, and they're able to get word of mouth through social media on these specific and it's not happening in like the romantic comedy <laughs> genre or anything like that it's all it's all horror so we're seeing a little bit more of a push for micro budget um because you know and and it's all got it has to be something like skin and marine or not if you don't like it what whatever but it, it had something about it at that moment that was so weird that it caught people by some people by surprise or, you know, got people talking Winnie the Pooh. That's an idea that like, <laughs> uh, you know, love it or hate it. That's an idea that got people talking, um, you know, and, and terrifier two had a lot of viral buzz because of the gore factor and stuff. So it's like, I think we're going to start seeing more movies that are going to try to find that surprise or that, that hook that gets people's attention. That's hard, but it seemed like it happened with four movies in the last, you know, couple months. And I think that's kind of exciting for, uh, lower budgeted films, you know? And oh, for sure. For sure. Even, even if it's tough or... to recoup money, it really is. It's tough to recoup money. Um, you got to yeah. find the right distributors that are going to be honest with you, which is near impossible, near impossible. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. It's, it's yeah. damn hard. And so, um, and, and you can't just throw your movie up on Amazon and to be and expect it to, recoup its money it's one thing to get up on these streaming platforms it's another to actually have people watch it and it to actually make money and so in order to survive in the business you got to make money so you can make your next movie so i mean um, yeah yeah you know i mean mean, that's that's tough like it is it's really really hard but it seems to be working and i don't know what this says about the business but movies with less smaller and smaller budgets are recouping much better than certain movies because a lot of these distributors now aren't paying money up front. They're just not. So right, it's, right. it's tougher to make money because a lot of, like you're going off of, of ad revenue off Tubi, you're going off ad revenue and on Voodoo. Um, and so, but there, because there's so many streaming platforms now, there are more opportunities for your movie to be seen. Um, like I think Arbor Demons on Paramount Plus, it's on MGM Plus, which is funny because it's like MGM Plus was Epics, and then it got rebranded. So it's like you've got a lot of these streaming platforms they keep kind of changing, and so it's it's still kind of like the Wild West in terms of where it's heading. Um, but it's interesting because yeah, like Peacock picked up a couple of the movies, and, and, and again, like you don't know from a lot of the times I have to keep checking on Google where my movies are playing because I don't get told. <laughs> I had no idea that my movie was on Paramount Plus until I happened upon it by Googling the film. <laughs> you know, that's the thing I'm talking about. Like these distributors don't always tell you exactly what. That's crazy. They should be at least letting you know oh, where your films problem, are. Well, the problem is that the bigger the company and then there's turnaround. So the person you've been talking to disappears. All of a sudden they're not, you know, with the company anymore. So then you're like put in touch with somebody else who may not be as, as, good of a communicator or flat out doesn't want to talk to you. Right. So the only thing you can do is like you go to your Roku, you go to your Roku and you're like, type in the title. And all of a sudden you're like, wait, what's this? What streaming platform is, you know, um, with I am Lisa, like it's on screen box and we, they were like super communicative. So again, it's like, we were lucky 
again, it's a crapshoot on who you go with. So um, I always tell uh, filmmakers to do do some research on whatever distributor you go with to, um, you know, be smart about it. And, and, and again, like I also tell, you know, filmmakers, make something that people want to watch. Mm. I think that's what it, it comes down to is ultimately know what your audience is and make something that people want to see. And because sometimes I think people are like, well, why did my film not succeed? I'm like, well, did you make something for your for yourself or did you make something that people actually want to see? You know, and, and so I tell people to do that in, you know. No, that, that, pretty, makes, yeah. that makes sense. That makes yeah. sense, because yeah, uh, a, a lot of folks will make stuff stuff for themselves and say bleep you to the audience while there's the quote unquote sellouts who just make stuff for the audience, but you can do both. And, and, and I think that's what you're doing. Make, right. You can find a middle ground there where yeah. you're making something that people want to see, but it's also something that keeps, that's true to yourself, you know? And right, I, right. You got, well, well, like your film well, here, this, this film here, um, it's a horror film. You want to make it, like you said, you prefer doing horror films than, 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 you know, the, the other stuff that you've done. And and people want to see there's a there's a built in group of uh, people that, for example, listen to this podcast that want to see films like your film. Right. And so you're having a blast making this film. You, you brought in people that um, you, you specifically thought of to be the stars of this film. And then this, the audience is there because they want to see films like this. So right. it's a perfect mix. It's right. unbelievable. Well, right. and honestly, unless you're going to put your work in a vault. I, you want an audience to see right, or read right, or whatever. Right. And, I and so they are the most important, right? Because you right. you want to make that next film, which means yep. that you need people to fund it, right. which yeah. are your audience. Right. Now, let me use Nailbiter as an example of, of I had written a sequel. I actually have two different sequel scripts to Nailbiter. I've never been able to get anybody to pay for it because ultimately the distributor couldn't wouldn't give us any of, like, data to show us how the movie did and i can't go to an investor and say i you know this is how the mo- first movie did put money into the second one i can't do that because i have no way of and lionsgate good luck good luck getting anything out of them that's going to show you how the movie actually did um so that has been a big frustration of mine uh over the years because i've always wanted to make a sequel and I have one that I've been wanting to make, but I've just been like constantly changing it because the time just keeps getting further and further from the first one to the point where like the sequel will have to be something completely different by the time I get to it. Um, it's unfortunate because I really want to make that. But like, again, I can't go to an investor and say, you know, here's how the first movie did because I don't really have anything to show. Like I, I can't get that information and part of that's because we went with a company that was much bigger and it's just it's impossible you know and we made that decision it got the movie out there but the back the the unfortunately the the bad thing about it is you're just not going to get the you know unless it you get this unless you have saw you're not going to get the sales reports from Lionsgate to show how the movie did right right that's it's very frustrating that's and so I've had to constantly kind of move on to the next project. Uh oh, my daughter's crying. You okay, oh no. Sue? You okay? Say hi. Say hi. <laughs> oh. 
Well, I'll be up soon, okay? We'll watch a movie together. Ooh, that's fun. A movie together. Yes. <laughs> movies are good. <laughs> yes, they are. Daddy makes movies, see? <laughs> <laughs> Not movies that they, she could see. Well, but, uh, it's funny because, like, I've demystified <laughs> that because if she sat with me several times when I'm editing. They Wait in the Dark and some of my short films, and, like, she knows the people who are in them, so she's... There's, oh yeah. There's no like the mystery is gone in some ways, you know. Right, right. Well, I, I let my my girls play uh, Resident Evil Village, so so th- th- yeah. Yeah. Th- th- yeah. It's it's okay. It's okay. It's all good. Now, um, uh, back back to your your uh, this new movie here. Um, I know you mentioned you know Tubi and and Amazon Prime and things like that that people th- uh, have their movies on, but but um, some of our Canadian listeners uh, emailed us. Um, when when we released our Dark Discussions podcast episode on uh, your film, and they said they couldn't find it in Canada. Where, where where can people find your film? Both, I guess, in North America and and wherever you know. We we have a lot of English listeners, Mexico, Canada, uh, and when I say English, uh, that includes you know New Zealand, Australia, uh, the UK, Ireland, and so forth. So, uh, good question. Oh, hold on, sweetie. Oh, in the Caribbean too, as a matter of fact. Can you give me one second? I'm sorry, guys. Yeah, no, that's fine. Sorry. Absolutely, that's fine. We, we can we can continue talking while yeah, yeah, while yeah. you take care. It's, fine. it's all good. Yeah. So um, now, uh, Chrissy, how did you find out about this film? Uh, because I, I know you were the one that brought it to everyone's attention. Uh, did uh, you you like for me? Like directors that I enjoy or actors that I enjoy, I, I kind of look every so often on IMDb to see, oh, look, there's a film coming out. Uh, how did you find out about, th- out about this he film? He actually, um, Patrick had messaged me because, oh, and, and told me that he had a movie that he had finished um, and that it was going to be coming out. And I know he messaged me because he knows I love his his stuff. You know, and like yeah, yeah, I'll yeah. watch anything he does. Like I really like his work. Um, his stories just really vibe with me. Uh, so and we had kept in touch on and off, and I had also asked him a few questions about some things because of Candlewood or whatever. So, um, so yeah, so that's how I found out about it, and I probably would have seen something about it eventually but this was like way before its release this was like i don't know i want to say it was like fall or whatever it was a while oh, before. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. D- during the festival circuit type of, yeah, uh, yeah yeah so right. i was really glad to hear about it and then um i was privileged enough that he was so nice and sent me a screener and i watched it and i loved it and that's when I messaged you and was like, holy crap, this movie's really good. Like, when it comes out, we need to do something. Indeed. Um, yeah. So, now, yeah. Now, you, you mentioned that you you watch everything that, that he puts out. And I've seen a, a number of his short films. And uh, I talked to him a few years ago. I said, oh, dude, you should take these short films and make, like, a horror anthology. And he says yeah. he can't because because he doesn't necessarily own the rights and they're, they're distributed by different – uh, companies, so he can't put them all together because of that. Uh, yeah, so, so that would be because you know it would be. I agree with you, Phil. Even if you didn't do necessarily a horror anthology, right, where they're connected, yeah. just yeah. put them all on one disc, you right, know, right, or right, one right. package, yeah, yeah. so people yeah. could at least yeah. get to them. Yeah, um, yeah. 
Yeah, that's I know. I'm that's so weird. That. Film I'm rights are so that. weird. Film rights are so weird. Like I guess, like yeah, I'm, because pa- Patrick, when I talked to you, you're, you're back now. Uh, a few years ago, you said, "Yeah, it was. It's tough to do it because a lot of the the shorts are owned by or, or distributed by different companies, so you couldn't take them all together and, and just put them all together as a as a anthology yeah. horror film." I mean, I can maybe try. Like, there's some uh, recent ones that I'm thinking about doing that with. Um, that I I you know feel like I have a little bit more flexibility with. And, um, so I'm still considering it. Um, like, yeah, some of my short films ended up like on some of these, uh, anthologies that were, there's some of them are on screen box. Um, and these are some short, it's, you know, it's tough about short films. It's like, there's a, such a huge growth, uh, you know, like arc of growth between like ones I did in 2008 to like, even like 2012. And then like, you, cause you think about it, it's like, some of those short films now are like 15 years old, so it's like almost. Crazy. Well, how 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 old is is? I was looking when we were we were uh, reviewing this film on our latest episode. I was looking back at at Nailbiter and Arbor Demon, and it's crazy how old those films are now too. It's like holy yeah. smokes! It's I know, like, like, I know, I know. It's like terrifying. half a decade to over a decade. I know. Like, I don't want to think. Hell? I don't want to think about it. I, you know, it's funny because when I did Nailbiter, I didn't have any kids. And you right. know it's crazy, and now I have two. So uh, yeah, like some of the uh, short films um, have been on like Screenbox, and then some of them, the newer ones I've been doing are on like that show Bloody Bites that airs on Screenbox TV. Um, for a while there, I made this short film that's actually it premiered on Bloody Bites on on Screenbox last week, and there was some rights issues with that short film, and then the rights reverted back to me. So I was very lucky with that. Um, but that short film had been done for a long time. Like I shot it in 2015 and then it took till last year for me to get the rights back to it. Um, so yeah, there's just a lot of, of things that I think I'm, I'm getting closer to, I think feeling like I could put together some type of anthology of um, short films, but yeah, like I had signed with a, a distributor for, it was a non-exclusive, so I could still probably release a lot of them. Um, but they all ended up – I was like, oh, my God, why do I have another IMDb credit? And then be like another a- anthology <laughs> that one of my short films ended up on. I'm like, which one is on that? And the, the, the tough thing about those um, is that they, they're reviewed – they're not like – it's not like Creepshow where like all these movies were made specifically for one film by one director with a consistent creative – through line so they're picking up a lot of these short films and it's like almost like it's a, it's a hodgepodge of of styles and it's a they're kind of like uh more like uh compilations than i would even consider anthologies with a they, and they do like a very loose c- connective wraparound story that doesn't always work so like a lot of these anthologies i like i dread look reading the reviews because i'm like well i have one film out of six other movies that are on there and it's like Sometimes it's it's hit or miss, and and they put these out there. Some of them have been in the red box, and it's kind of like, but that for me, like at some point, you make again. It's like we talked about earlier. You make a film to be seen. Short films have a very limited lifespan. Like at some point, you're just like, and it's gotten better over the last maybe three or four years with these like alter and 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 screen box and stuff but for a while there there was like what do you do with them do they sit inside of a junk drawer just collecting dust for the rest of their lives or do you just throw them up on youtube so 
I, I saw an opportunity to get them out on these anthologies and I took it. So a lot of them just ended up on these different anthologies. Like I said, it was like every other month I was seeing a new one on my IMDb and I'm like, and I'm listed sometimes as the only director. And I'm like, well, that's not true. There are like eight films with eight different directors, you know? So, um, yeah, I, I, there's part of me that regrets doing it, but then there's part of me like, well, those films have gotten it out to a broader audience that way, you know? Um, but at some point I will put together a, a you know, anthology of, of films and I, I want them to be fairly consistent from a, I, not necessarily a thematic point of view, but like in terms of like, I mean, just being polished, you know, like you, obviously my 2008 films don't feel nearly as polished as the ones I've been making now. So I think part of it is just me being like, you know, insecure artist who's like looking back at his old work and going, I don't want, I don't want anyone seeing that anymore. You know, I, I, you hear about directors all the time who their earlier work, they can't even look at it, you know, and, and you're shooting with cameras that weren't as great as they are now. And um, I think that's true across any art, right. art discipline though. I mean, like, yeah. I go back and read short stories of mine that because I've been getting work published in magazines since I was like 13. Right. And I read some of that stuff and I just go, oh, my God. Like, I yeah. like, yeah. no. Like, right, right. Just, right. No, I never want that. But it's out there, you know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. sometimes I'll have some fun. The only good news is it's because I'm a Gen Xer. Yeah. It was well before the rise of the Internet. Right. So a lot of that shit is just thankfully like God, like I have copies of the publications in my basement, Yeah, yeah. but that crap is never going to see the light of day unless yeah. I specifically do something with it. They archive the magazine at some point, you know, right. Um, yeah. yeah. Or, or like I just said, like I'll print it up for my friends in a chat book and say, Hey, want to laugh? I wrote this when I was 15. It's really bad. Have a good time. Right. But, you know, like, you well, know. for me, the, the earlier short films, I, I had I actually was talking to some guys. I had some younger uh, uh, KU grads helping out with the shoot today. And I said that there's always a lot of people hesitate to ever release or finish some of their films because they're scared of being judged necessarily or being yeah. put in that position where they have to be criticized or judged or <laughs> made fun of on Twitter which I've gotten used to, so that's okay. But I'm just saying, like, my early short films, my early short films were, like, I said you have to go through your shit period where your films are not good, but you're still showing them to people because you're getting that 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 feeling of, okay, I'm starting to feel comfortable showing my films, and now my films are going to start getting better, and you've kind of gotten through that period where you've, you've – what's the word I'm looking for? You've got some of that inhibition now – out of your system where you're like, I, I can, I can show my movie and I feel comfortable showing it to an audience. Cause I think some people, they make a really good film or they're worried that their film isn't good and they don't want to be held to some, you know, they don't want to get trashed online or, or they don't want to be made a fool well, of. So they just never show anything to anyone. Yeah, it's Even scary. If, and that's, yeah. you know, the, being an artist in any, discipline is scary right. because you are investing yourself right. in this and whether or not it's quality or not quality doesn't really matter because somebody is always going to think it's terrible. 
Right. There's always somebody that's going to think it's terrible. Right. There's right. always somebody that's going to think it's good. Right. But you're putting a piece of yourself out there. And I think especially for filmmakers, you would have to have a really tough skin because the Internet is brutal like we're also in an age now where you know in the old days you had newspapers right or whatever or print magazines and so you know there were probably reviews of movies that like filmmakers never saw or knew about you know that said oh my god this movie sucked and like they didn't know about it yeah and but now it's like prolific like it's proliferated our everyday lives you know on our phones Like in our bedrooms, you know, whatever. And it's like, so I think it's a lot scarier now. It is. It is. Because everybody, everybody's a critic (laughs) in some ways, you know. Um, And for me, like, uh, you know, people always focus on the IMDb ratings and stuff like that. And I'm always kind of like, well, IMDb is a little bit like Yelp in the sense that like anybody can write a review I, I tend to give people uh, – I mean, obviously, Rotten Tomatoes, it gets a little bit of a mixed review from people, but it is at least critics who are Rotten Tomato uh, approved. You know what I'm saying? It's not like it's for every – you know? So I don't know. It's it's interest, It's an interesting time. I try to just kind of, like I said, move on to the next film and, and just keep trying to get better. Um, but I think I got a lot of my uh, bugs out of my system in terms of showing – my work by showing bad work. Like I was like, Oh, this is terrible, but I'm going to show it to people. And once you start getting kind of used to it, you develop a thicker skin. And I remember when nail buyer came out, I was like reading some of the IMDB reviews and thinking that my career was over. I'm like, I'm never doing this again. This was a horrible mistake. But then I just went on to the next thing. And so then it, by the time you get to your fourth, fifth feature, you're almost like embracing it. You're like, oh, yeah, let's see what terrible things people are saying about me on this social platform. And you're okay with it. But you have to kind of get to that point. Uh, um, and it's tough because, you know, I, I, sometimes I, I get more nervous when everyone's liking the movie. I'm like, what's 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 going to happen here? This doesn't make any you know. Um, so I, and I've gotten to the point. It's interesting because early in my career – you know, and I, when I say career, like right when I got out of college and you think that you know everything and I'm making a movie and like I'm getting criticism from people and I'm like, no, you know what you're talking about. This is great. I, and then by the time I got to my last film, I'm like, please tell me what's wrong with this movie. I want criticism. Yeah. Please. I don't want to hear, oh, this is great. No, I said, tell me what's wrong with it. Because I, I, I like that's the thing. I want to hear what's wrong with it now. But you're in your early when you're early stages in your filmmaking, you're like you think for some reason your movie is brilliant and it's not true. But you're like, I don't want to hear negative comments and and uh, but well, because you can't you can't grow like we all learn from our mistakes, right? right so you can't right. grow. Like I had a professor. You're talking about the IMDb reviews and things like that. Uh, I studied under Steve Allman at this conference in Miami, and he's like this big writer who's amazing and just a really great person all around. And one of the biggest pieces of advice that he gave me was, listen, I don't care what anybody says. Do not read your Amazon reviews. Do not read. The only reviews you're interested in are like, you know, if somebody reviews you and gives your book or or your collection you're in and gives you a good review. That's it. 
Uh, well, oh, really Chrissy, only up. only if those people you don't know, because right, right. we, we know how, know how them, a lot right. of people that, yeah, right, exactly. Right, but my point is just that he, and I said to him, well, why shouldn't we read those? And he said, because it in your heart and soul, you just want to do the work. And it's not that you don't want to hear anything bad. It's that you don't need to be demoralized like that. Yeah. Like you have plenty of peers that will come to you and say, your short story has problems with it or whatever. And this needs, this is wrong. And this is how it could be better. That's the kind of critique you, you need. Right. You don't need to be reading crap on Amazon. And this is exactly what he said by somebody sitting there, you know, half drunk with a beer going, <laughs> I'm feeling nasty today. I'm going to yeah. go on and say some right. really dumb right. crap about yeah. this book and give it one star. Right. That's right. not helping you grow as an artist. Right. And all it's doing is making you feel like shit. Well, and I, I started noticing that on IMDb, there's a trend of like, it's, I think they're almost bots or they're like, pre-written reviews that happened before the movie's even released. Yeah, I, I've I seen a lot of finding, that too. I started finding reviews on other indie horror movies that were written exactly the same way on my movie. And I'm like, are these just like cut and paste one-star reviews that they just give indie films? Because they were like written this, like exactly the same. And so it's like some of that stuff, you can't even tell if they're written by people. So it's well, like, and I think we're getting into an age now with this AI crap. Yeah, where it's going to get really scary. Oh yeah, it's like gonna get really, yeah. it's going to get like you can't, and that's part of the reason why I don't read reviews at all. Right. Um, I'll read them like you know, like the New York Times says this movie's good. Well, I'm going to go see the movie and then I'll read the review. because yeah. the movie to me is always doesn't interest me as long as the movies aren't being made by ai i think we're (laughs) but i think we are going to get into that thing where they just have these bots just throwing this random crap out there and i think that's really scary i really think that's scary i do i do think that's scary and and, uh but we you know i guess we just forge ahead um right now i'm trying to get uh, i've got three or four uh feature length projects i'm kind of trying to get off the ground but then i have a, I, I again i worked on a short film today and then i've got another short film i'm directing um that i i wrote uh specifically the actress who played jenny and they wait in the dark who's the best friend the waitress oh, okay. um, i wrote a short film for her it's currently called chloe's happy hour i'm not going to give it much away about this the, the story but uh, we're shooting april 22nd to 23rd so i should have it and i'm a pretty fast editor when it comes to getting i mean i'll have it ready probably by the summer um depending on things but uh so i'm just i keep trying to for me it's like it's important to just keep making stuff even if it's not a feature-length film i made a short film in november i was hired to direct that had the actor cooper andrews from the walking dead Uh, he played jerry in the walking dead i don't know if you guys oh yeah yeah, um, I, I was hired to direct a short film with him in, in November, and so I'm finishing that out right now. So I've got a bunch of stuff kind of in the works and getting finished. Mm-hmm. So I always feel like I've got something creative that I'm working on so I don't go crazy. Because, I mean, there's a lot of things. I, I mean, as a filmmaker, I'm also editing projects for other people. I'm also working on – so it's a combination of my projects and other people's projects, and, and um, which keeps me from – Keeps me feeling like I'm, you know, working and um, you know, it's in your blood in a way. Right. Right. You right. know, it's it's always like, you know, once you commit 
to a creative path. Yeah. That's what you're on. Yeah. And, like, and- you know, it's like you just don't know how not to. Like, I wouldn't – I could turn around and turn out tons and tons of writing that is absolute crap. Right. And in fact, I do do that on a regular basis. And some stories are, you know, good enough that I'm like, okay, this deserves the investment in the craft and I'm going to invest in this. And others just lay in the drawer forever because they're crap. But you know what? I wouldn't know how not to do it. Right. I wouldn't I wouldn't be like, oh, that's crap. Don't write it. Like, no, I'm just going to write it and see what happens. And if right. it sucks, it sucks. I just won't do anything with it. That's okay. Right, right. I, th- like, I, I I keep a list of, of like, basically pitches that I'm, th- you know, different ideas that I have that, like, just are even, like, one paragraph descriptions. Mm-hmm. Always kind of like, well, which one am I most excited about right now as we speak? And which one is feasible? And, and um so you know um i want to make a vampire film i've got like all these different ideas <laughs> um, you know at some point and i'm gonna try to do something a little again with a, a, van- a fresh vantage point because I, I think that's the only way i you know there's just a lot of movies that come out that you they fade away from your memory almost instantly because they don't have any hook or new way of looking at things and so i try i don't always succeed but i try to do things that way um so some of it's about heart like i think all the marvel movies have so many people working on them that it just doesn't feel the same you know it's like this created project by ten thousand people and with with a release date a release date before they have a script you know and i right right yeah Um, so um well, that's the thing. It's interesting. You're talking about Barrett was talking about heart. I watched a little indie movie this weekend on Amazon Prime called Devil's Island. Mm-hmm. And it's like an hour and 12 minutes long. And the only reason I knew about it was because my sister lives in upstate New York. And she said they filmed this up here in the Thousand Islands. And so I've been dying to watch it to see what they did, you know, because she lives right up around there. And uh, it was a cute little film. And I know that sounds weird describing a horror film as cute. But the reason I said this film was so cute was because you could feel the passion that these people had for making this movie in this movie as you were watching it. There were, I mean, it was not the best movie ever. There were definitely some story holes and things like that. And it was a very quiet little film. But you could just feel how there was like, I don't know how many people were on the crew. It was pretty small because the credits were small. But I was like, oh, my God, they must have had a great time. And you could just tell that they poured their heart and soul into this. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and I'm recommending it to people because I'm like, look, this film is fun. Like, do you want a horror movie that's like not scary, but it's got a lot of things going for it? Yeah. Check this out. Like, but that's what I mean. You could feel all the heart and the passion and the fun. It just exploded right through the film. Yeah. Right through the I think, I think that's important. I think a lot of that seeps in. That's, a lot of that is just the way the the crew connects with each other. And that's why I've worked with a lot of the same people over the years, because we have a synergy that works and, and um, uh, you know, it's almost like a psychic thing at this point, because we've all been working together for so long. Um, and that's why I think that that's, you know, some of that energy carries over into the finished product. And, and so if, and I'm telling you, if, if it's a bad experience, you can tell by watching the movie as well, you know? So, 
Now, you mentioned, uh, speaking of that way, uh, I wanted to ask you, um, uh, because one of your bigger stars in, in uh, Arbor Demon was uh, Jake Busey. Uh, would you you work with uh, him again? Uh, is there a way you could you could you could get him back into films? Just just I mean, once you make connections like that, I, I assume yeah, uh, I mean, you try maybe, to keep maybe he was really fun to work with. I had no problems working with him. Um, it just depends. Like I mean, uh, maybe down the road, yeah, or or working again with Fiona or something like that. Yeah, maybe. Hi. <laughs> and my daughter wants to say hi again. What are you dressed in? Hey, my Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi. Hello. I gotta put her in movies now. Okay. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh, I tried today. She was she had a cameo in the short film we were shooting, and it didn't quite work the way we thought it would. <laughs> but uh, no, no. The to answer your question, yeah, absolutely. I would I would definitely work with him again, and and it just it all comes down to the right project for the right time, and and also comes down to money. You yeah, know? yeah. So, yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, now, now, uh, one one question I had about about the actors in this film here. Um, you, you know, you, you you filmed it in Kansas. Um, uh, do you usually um, work with with uh, folks in the Kansas area? I know you mentioned at the beginning that you most you kind of sort of did, except for Arbor Demon, which was in South, South Carolina. Carolina. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But for this this film here and your other films, um, is it because of your your ten years back in, in the day from Kansas and your schooling and all that? Well, a lot of the uh, people that I work with graduated from KU and or stayed in, is because Kansas City is like I said, forty five minutes from KU, um, which is on the Kansas side. So a lot of them have moved to Kansas City and, and stayed in the area rather than moving to the coast. So. We've all kind of worked together. A lot of them work on commercial projects right now. Like that's, I mean, commercials pay much better than independent film, let's be honest. But um, they all have like, there, there's that thing where they they want to make films. They want to tell narrative stories. They don't necessarily want to make corporate or, uh, you know, 30-second commercials all the time. So a lot of them are willing to work on independent films when they come along and, and uh um, but a lot of them stuck around and have just gotten better and better. And so we've all just kind of grown together as a group, um, which has been kind of fun, you know. And and so, uh, yeah, that's I think that's kind of the reason why you once you find that kind of core group, um, it's like a family situation. And every time you make a film, it's like going back to camp with these people, you know. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, again, like I'm maybe – the way Kansas City is set up, there's Kansas City, Kansas, and Kansas City, Missouri, and, like, it takes me 10 minutes to get to the Kansas side, you know, and, and so we're all, like, really close, so everybody's within a 30-minute, 45-minute uh, radius of each other, so um, so it's easy when whenever we have a shoot, everybody can just kind of get there, you know? Yeah, that, that, that makes sense. Um now, uh, what, what about uh, upcoming projects? Uh, I know you mentioned uh, something with uh, the actress that plays the, the waitress in this film here, uh, but but any, any feature-length films uh, that you have planned at the moment? Yeah, I've got a couple that I'm trying to get off the ground. It comes down to money. I have one that I might shoot over the summer that's going to be done in a little different manner. It might be a found footage-style film, which is – I know some people find cringy, but at the same time – uh, Chrissy, I've oh I, I've always, I am a found footage whore. Okay, I have Please a found. Please let me know. I have a concept that I I have a concept that I've always wanted to do as a found footage movie, and I think I might actually shoot it over the summer. 
Um, and then I've got another movie, an I Am Lisa sequel that we're, we've got a, a good portion of the budget raised for at this point and in the bank, but we are waiting for the rest of it because it's just not, it's just not enough to make the film at this point, which is frustrating because it's like 50% of what we need and then we need another 50%. So, um, and that's, that's just been, um, kind of a project that we've been going back and forth on. And so then, and then I've got a couple other things that are kind of in the works that I can't really discuss, but we'll see what happens. But the found footage one, it's a vampire found footage movie. Ooh. Um, it is um. not, it is entirely not meant to be something that like, Ooh, this is real footage found. It knows what it is. It's going to tell a full, it's going to tell an actual story as opposed to being a gimmick, you know? And so, um, and it might star, uh, Sarah McGuire, who is, obviously the star of they wait in the dark i'm 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 giving her a role that's a lot different from from they wait they wait in the dark so um but yeah it's it's going to be i'm i'm hoping to shoot something like that over the summer um it all just kind of depends on money again like if you're an independent filmmaker it's hard to do these films for free and it's hard that you have to raise a budget and and find investors and there's there's a whole other side of filmmaking that you don't necessarily learn in film school actually i went back and spoke at KU uh, last week to some new filmmakers, new students and stuff. And, and, and I had to kind of go through the nuts and bolts of raising money and finding investors and all that stuff, which nobody likes to really like that. Nobody likes to do necessarily, but yet it's part of the process and it's important. Um, but we're at this point right now where it's easier to get out there and learn and make films with your friends and tell good stories on a shoestring. And, and I think that um, a lot of people just need to go out and make some stuff so that you can get noticed. So you can make the longer form feature length films or, with, with bigger budgets. So. Right. Right. Um, let's see. Uh, Chrissy, you got any other questions that you wanted to ask? Um, I had to make sure I wasn't muted. Sorry. Um, no, I don't. I think you answered pretty much all the questions that I had. Um, you cool. know, I hope I, I hope I answered everybody's questions without going on too many tangents. I tend to do that sometimes. So, <laughs> well, I, let me ask Barrett. We haven't asked Barrett. Barrett, do you got any more questions you want to ask? I don't have any more questions, but I want to thank you for coming on with us and uh, talking for such a long time. Yeah, this yeah. was really yeah. great. I, yeah. I plan I plan to follow this with some hot tea for my throat. No, I'm just kidding. It, it, I, <laughs> really, really fine. I appreciate you guys having me on, and I'm glad you liked the film and and all your questions were were great. And and um, yeah, I just hope that uh, whatever I make next, you guys also enjoy. So let well, us know I'm about sure it. I will. Yeah, definitely let us know because uh, you know. And There's course, so much out there. If we don't see happen to see it, sometimes I mean, things get lost. I mean, it, it really it's it's hard to stick out right now, and I think that that's. Uh, but I, again, like I think where I see the future is is micro budget movies are going to get a better chance at maybe the, even theatrical releases at this point. So, um, so fingers crossed. Absolutely. Now, uh, where, where can folks uh, find you on social media and maybe a website, you know, all that kind of um, stuff? I'm on Instagram. I think it's just under Patrick M. Ray, R-E-A. And then uh, Facebook, it's, just, it's um, Patrick M. Ray. The, uh, right now, like, 
I'm on Twitter, and I'm on, I, I, I've actually been on Twitter recently more than ever before um, promoting They Wait in the Dark. So I'm also on Twitter. Look me up. Um, follow me there. Follow me on Instagram. Facebook has a cap on how many friends you can have, though I, I – so I haven't put much effort into my filmmaker page, which is, you know, I think you can have as many friends as you want or followers. But um, so Instagram and Twitter are kind of a little bit more um, open for – followers to follow me at this point so nice now um uh you go uh, i know a lot of our listeners they like uh, meeting folks in person uh, do you, you do conventions or anything like that where they can meet you have uh posters or, or discs autographed things like that i haven't done anything lately i think um um i'd like to come back to horror hound or one of those um maybe we'll see what happens in the fall i i tend to try to get to film fest I went to I went to Nightmares Film Festival I think last year I, I've lost all track of time it might either it was last year or the year before where was that out of uh, Columbus Ohio okay so I try to get to a couple film festivals a year I went, went to Fright Fest this last year um, and so um, like as far as conventions go I used to go to them a lot I just got to the point with with kids it gets a little harder um, yeah. and so um, I know there's um, Crypticon KC, which is in Kansas City, which I th- I think I'll be at um, in July. So I do my best to try to get that, get out there. Um, but um, uh, yeah, no, I I haven't I haven't been to a convention in ages, and I need to I need to my films have played, but I haven't I haven't like They Way in the Dark played at Horror Hound I think last, this last fall. So um, it's just it's just all about me picking and choosing which ones I can afford to to go to, you know. Sure, sure, yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so uh, we appreciate it. Um, uh, I know uh, before before we we sign off, uh, Chrissy and, and myself and Barrett will, will st- stay on to give our our uh, wrap up stuff, like uh, you know, uh, promote our own stuff. Sure. Um, but um, if uh, you you have anything else that comes up, you let us know, and we'll, we'll get you right back on. Yeah, absolutely. all right. I I appreciate it, guys, and you guys all take care and have a great evening. All right, you, you too. too. And, and, and right. Good luck tomorrow. Your I know. Thank good you. luck tomorrow. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. All right. Now, um, uh, what, why? What's going on again tomorrow for Patrick? I, I may have missed that. He, he has an he has an interview tomorrow on one yeah. of the news local news channels. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I remember. Yep. Yeah. With with the the person, other person. Yeah. Um. All right. So uh, that was good that uh, he he gave us all that time. Uh, hopefully our listeners are 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 happy with that because uh, again this is a, a different type of episode than we we usually do where we review uh, films and such. But again, this is the Halloween Boutique Psychotronic Reviews podcast where we uh, are catch-all uh, where we do uh, reviews, but we also do interviews and things of that nature. Uh, but before we uh, wrap up, uh, Chrissy, you actually do other things. Uh, what, what do you do, Chrissy? I do well. I'm primarily a short fiction writer, but um, I've been editing a lot lately so i am working uh the spring issue of 34 orchard pretty much wrapped today um that'll be released april 25th if this is released after that that's fine i'm sure it'll probably actually be released maybe tomorrow actually oh cool so uh for 12 um, yep and that's awesome and then uh, i have an anthology i'm working on for the new england horror writers called wicked sick and that's coming out, I believe, in May. So, um, yeah, so that's what I've been up to. But you can find out more about me and all the different stuff I do at com. 
I, I did get your your little booklet in the in the mail the other day. Oh, uh, you did. The, oh, the, yeah, the, the little flyer yeah. for thirty four. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Very good. Uh, now, uh, Barrett, uh, what, what's the main podcast that we do here on, on the Dark Discussions News Network, and what's that all about? It is Dark Discussions. We mainly talk about horror films. Um, sometimes we break out of that mold a little bit, like Jurassic uh, Park Dominion, or Jurassic World Dominion. Sorry, got that wrong there for a second. Um, so, But mostly horror, and that's pretty much where we stick. So that's why we have things like Halloween Boutique Psychotronic Reviews. So for things that don't fit into there, we have another place for them to fit. Though, though uh, this week, uh, uh, what is yes. it? Yes. Uh, April 14th, right? No, April uh, 13th. Uh, we're, we're breaking the mold. It. We're breaking the mold again with uh, Dungeons and Dragons, uh, the new movie. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So, so every so often we, we do thrillers or action films and stuff. So, yeah. Um, all right. So uh, that's pretty much uh, wraps up the podcast here uh, because we have uh, two hours in almost. So, so we don't have time to talk about, you know, what we've been watching or, or news or anything like that. But uh, anything further you want to say, uh, Chrissy? Uh, no, except that um, I'm sorry. I didn't see your text, but, <laughs> but uh, no, I am good to go. I apologize. All right. And I don't know the answer to the question either. So I guess I don't remember. So <laughs> no worries. No worries. Uh, all right, so you were you were actually t- the text that that Chrissy's referring to is that she mentioned uh, a horror film that wasn't necessarily scary, but it was pretty good, and you would oh, recommend it to people. Yes, it was called Devil's Island. It's free on Amazon Prime, and it's an hour and twelve minutes long. And without giving spoilers, it's about a girl who inherits her dead aunt and uncle's house up in the Thousand Islands in New York. So the only way you can get there really to this house is by boat. Where, where is the Thousand Islands in New York? I don't even know where the that Thousand is. Thousand Islands is out on the western, like way west. It's like so, on so, the, so it's like the on the gray. So it's on on like like one of the um, Lake Erie or something like that. Yeah, or on the it might. Oh my God, my geography is so embarrassing. Yeah, I'm, I'm like looking that. it up now. I'm doing it with something. <laughs> I believe it's on the St. Lawrence Seaway, maybe. Yeah, St. Lawrence, yeah. right, and Lake yeah. Ontario. Oh wow, damn. St. Lawrence River and Lake Ontario. Yeah, yeah and that? it's it's just it was a really interesting environment in which to set this type of film. Um, those communities up there have a very very specific feel to them, and. It, they just really use that to their advantage, and it's a very quiet film. It is not, you know, it's it's it's, and it's a slow burn, but it's it's a perfect length too, an hour and twelve minutes. You can't beat it. It's I'm just, glad you I asked, Bill, because she didn't mention the name while we were talking. Oh, she didn't. That's the reason I was asking the question, because I didn't hear the name. Yeah, exactly. That's too awesome. Uh, but, yeah, that's way up there, because that's that's not even near Buffalo. That's, that's like, near uh, uh, pa- uh, n- directly north of, of Syracuse, right on, on the Ontario border. Yeah, Yeah, it's really it's really cool. But I think that that is if any listeners are looking for just an hour and 12 minutes, that's just kind of interesting. I would recommend it. It's got a couple of small story issues, but if you can overlook those. Is it a brand new film like 2023? I don't know. Is it it a Doc Discussions episode worthy? Oh, I don't think I don't know. 
I don't think so. I don't think. <laughs> I always come to the. Nah, I don't know. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think so, Phil, because it's fun. But I don't think there's really enough in depth there to really talk about. You know, it's just a really good time. But check it out. You might be like, hey, we could. You know, that might be cool. Where we could do an episode where there's like two or three little indies we choose that well, are. It sure. came out right, in 2021, right. FYI. Uh, yeah. A couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah. There yeah. you go. All right. Nice. All right. Sounds cool. Uh, Barrett, what about yourself? You got anything else that you wanted to bring up before we, we uh, wrap it up? No, I think I'm good. All right. Sounds good. So uh, with that, uh, Barrett, why don't you lead us out? Thank you for joining us while we interviewed uh, Patrick Ray. Um, join us next time when we have something else completely different.